Welcome to the SLP Happy Hour Podcast. On this podcast, we talk burnout, mental health, and how to be more confident in your life and career. We're glad you're here. Thank you for listening in. I'm Sarah, and up today, things we were afraid to do this year that we moved forward with and did anyway. We are busting through fear, and it can be messy, and we may be blundering, and it may not always feel good, but we're doing it at least sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Sari, and today's topic discusses life beyond fear. Again, sometimes we all let fear stop us from doing things, but today we're giving our real-life examples of things we've done in this past year that we were afraid to do, and what happened. And we'll also talk about a story or a personal experience from Sarah that deals with climbing in a slot canyon. And we will share what's going well and what is challenging in our lives right now and respond to a listener question about adoption. Quick housekeeping. If you're listening to this episode as it airs, we are both taking the summer off podcasting to spend time with our family as we become first-time mothers. We'll be back with regular episodes in September. So we have been trying to share a story at the beginning, at the top of each episode, just so that you all can get to know us better. And also because stories are the best. We, uh, over last, uh, winter, Sari shared a story about getting left in a Taco Bell and it's still, (laughs) it's still one of listeners' favorite stories. So we're going to continue with the story, uh, theme here. And I'm going to talk about conquering my fear in Utah at the slot canyons. So this was several years ago, but because I knew we were discussing fear in this episode, I wanted to tell this story. So first up, what's a slot canyon? So there are these gorgeous red rocks, and sometimes you're climbing up a rock face. Uh, Not too high, though. I mean, I'm not talking rock climbing, but lots of bouldering, and sometimes you're in a deep cave with just a little crack through the top. So What forms these slot canyons? Essentially, when it rains in the desert and it's a big rainstorm over time, it wears away at the rock, and so there will be deep grooves, and you walk down through those grooves, so it's an ever-changing landscape, but you can usually see at least a little light at the top. So you go up, you go down, you go through, and you hike. So for a lot of the time, uh, you're in a long, skinny canyon with gorgeous red rock on both sides, maybe walking on rock, maybe walking on sand. There's lots of shapes throughout the rock, and then um, a slit of light coming through the very top. So again, you're hiking in a narrow canyon with tall walls that go straight up on each side. It's super duper deep, Um, but the canyon landscape is very varied. So The most famous one of these is Antelope Canyon, but there are lots more, and um, you're sometimes walking on rocks, sometimes climbing over things, under things, sometimes walking on sand. And as a safety note, there are, uh, for a lot of these slot canyons, there are huge rock walls going straight up with a crack on top, so do not go into slot canyons if it's going to rain or you think it might rain get out of there because the canyons are narrow and deep. If there's a big storm, people can drown in a very short period of time because above you, all of the rain is just going to funnel into that crack, if that makes sense. So um, also anytime you go hiking, tell someone, make sure they know where you're going, where you're parking, the vehicle you're driving, and when you should be back every time, this could literally save your life. So onto the story. Um, as far as my favorite canyons, I'm not sharing because I love you all, but as a longtime hiker, uh, I, I've got to keep my secret spots. So 
again, we're in Utah, we're going on these hikes, and there's a rock wall in this specific day that was maybe like 12 to 14 feet high, and there were little worn away areas that were like hand grips, but I'm not a rock climber, I'm not experienced in rock climbing, and I just remember looking up at that wall and thinking, that is impossible possibly high. There's no way I could get up there. Um, but it was the very first thing I had to do to even start the hike. So to be honest, I had to take several minutes and just talk myself into the fact that I could do it. And I went from just racing thoughts and feeling like, okay, this is impossible to like harnessing that energy and that adrenaline to spur me on. And I just went for it. And I remember standing at the top of that, you know, 12-ish foot wall and just feeling this intense sense of pride, of accomplishment, of goodness. So that's what happens when you push past your fear. So for the record, for every time I do something like that, I have lots more examples where I just completely chickened out and couldn't do it. Um, so this doesn't happen all the time, but when it does, it feels so good. This is, this is such a good story. It's sort of an analogy I feel like too, because you're facing your fear and it's like climbing up a rock wall or a mountain. And when we conquer that fear, when we conquer that rock wall, it feels so wonderful. But there are some days where we turn around and we go back down. Mm -hmm. And it's important to state that when we feel fear, if we just walk away, which I mean, I do that sometimes. I'm not saying I don't, but we're not working through the fear. Mm -hmm. And if we think that we have to wait until we don't feel the fear to do things, we will never do them. So the only way to move forward is to move forward with your fear and to be spurred on by your fear and to do it anyway. And that's why we're talking about this topic today. Mm -hmm. And something I had to work through my fear on uh, is going to be my what's down for this week. It's something that I don't think I've shared before, but I am a very anxious um, driver in general. But I get especially anxious when I need to drive in a big city. I'm a small town driving person. And where we live, everything is like 15 minutes away. I have the layout pretty much memorized. So when I have to drive in big cities, like... Seattle or Portland, which are the cities I visit the most often, sometimes I can shut down. Um, Not in an unsafe way, but I'll feel that sense of panic before I even enter into the city. And there has been one time specifically where I was on the freeway and the traffic is zooming by at speeds that I'm not used to in such a populated area. And I had to pull over and calm myself down before I could go again. My um, my husband usually takes on these drives because he grew up in Vancouver, BC, and lived in LA for a long time. So he, he, like driving in the city is second nature to him, but not for me. And I was by myself. Him driving was not an option. So I remember I tried to call him like seven times before he finally answered and and could give me the pep talk I needed to calm me down before I could get safely back on the road again. So it was scary. I'm glad I pulled over to calm myself down and get back in like a good calm space before driving again in a big motorized vehicle. (laughs) Um, So I've lived in larger cities before, like we lived in Vancouver, BC for a little while. And I used the public transportation systems because I preferred not to drive. So I hope someday I will overcome this fear completely. Maybe I just need to do it more often. But right now that is a tough one. Mm. 
Yeah, my story is a little different. I'm also an anxious driver in the city, but I learned how to drive in the city. Mm. So uh, when I was doing it every day, I didn't feel anxious. Now that I live in a small town and I do it, you know, a handful of times a year, I do find it nerve wracking, especially on the freeway, because um, in Portland, for example, I mean, I grew up there, so I know what the freeways are, but it's like you merge onto one and then you're merging onto the other and then you're on the other. It's it's just a lot of merging and changing and mm-hmm. bridges. Um, so I feel you. <laughs> I have no answer for that. Uh, but I'm, I'm impressed that you felt the fear and did it anyway. And it's the perfect um, story to share today mm-hmm. um, with this topic. So I'll bring us up a little bit with... Uh, what's up something that's adding to my happiness this week it's called the enya as in enneagram thought of the day emails so if you google enya thought of the day you'll get an opportunity to sign up for the email list you just enter in your enneagram type i'm a six series a two and every morning you get an email tailored to your enneagram type they're fun they're helpful and i always look forward to them. So the URL is just super long to sign up, but again, um, go ahead and just Google any thought of the day emails. And every morning when you wake up, you'll have this in your inbox. And it's just sort of an an encouragement for the day or a thought to think that goes along with your Enneagram type. And I found them really helpful and I always look forward to them. Yep. It's a fun thing to reflect on throughout the day for sure. And like you said, it's tailored to your personality type and some days I just open it up and I because I signed up for it too and I think yes yeah this is right where I'm at right now (laughs) I agree so that being said uh let's get to our listener question that we got today Mm -hmm. and as a quick reminder if you have a question you can go to slphappyhour.com slash contact and reach out to us and ask your question you can also send us a direct message on instagram uh honestly I don't I manage our social media and I don't tend to check Facebook messages very often. So please don't send me. (laughs) I may or may not see it. Um, But up today is a question from a listener. So this listener asked, she said, I have multiple health issues. So pregnancy is likely not a good option for me. I'm just getting started researching adoption. Sarah, I know that you're currently doing international adoption and adopting a child from China. Do you mind speaking more to the different types of adoption and the pros and cons of each for someone who's just getting started? Mm -hmm. It's a great question and it's one I get a lot. So I'm, I'm glad that we're answering it here so that I can, you know, refer people to this episode. There are lots of different options and it can be overwhelming at first. Um, I do want to mention I am not an expert on all types of adoption. The type of adoption that I'm most familiar with is international adoption, specifically international adoption to China. So that's what I really know about. Um, But I did research other adoption options before I settled on this one as the best choice for our family. So I'm going to briefly go over those again, not as someone who's an expert, but um, I'm guessing that, you know, I've researched this quite a bit for my own history and background, so I hope that it gives you a starting place if you're listening. So the three most popular types of adoption are foster to adopt, domestic infant adoption, and international adoption. With foster to adopt, you essentially sign up to be a foster parent. Something to really remember there is that it is the job of 
the state or the county that you're working with to reunite families. So in this case, unfortunately, it it can depend on where you live, but unfortunately in the state where I live, it's very unlikely that I would be able to foster and actually adopt a child. There are some children who are, you know, up for adoption, but they're typically older. They typically have um, disabilities and mental health issues. And uh, in the area where I live, there's typically three families that are going to a judge for every one child (laughs) that uh, is open for an adoption. And then the judge will choose one of them. So for me, it didn't feel like the most direct path to a child or a good match, but foster to adopt can be a great option for a lot of parents. So do look into your local resources for that and see if it's a good option for you. I can't tell you if it is or isn't because I don't know what your priorities are or what the programs are like where you live. Next up is domestic infant adoption. That is typically quite expensive and you essentially do a home study and you wait to be matched with a baby. Typically, this will be a newborn baby. There are some people who will wait for just a period of months, some people who wait for years and years and years for a birth mother to choose, for example, your family as the family, but it is a good option for people who really are wanting to look for infant adoptions. Last up is international adoption. It's the uh, type of adoption that I'm most familiar with. Uh, It also is quite expensive versus fostering is not expensive. Uh, And for that, you're typically going to adopt a child who is a toddler or older because the process will take at least 18 months. It is a lot of expense and a lot of paperwork. If you're going to do international adoption, I would just really recommend working with a country that has a stable adoption program and a stable government so that you know how long you're going to wait and that ultimately, even when it feels like it's not going to work out, the program will work out in the long term. Uh, There are stories of people working with for example, in countries with governments that are not stable, uh, that have had a lot of heartbreak and difficulty. Um, But I'm working with the China program. China program has been very strong. It's been um, going for a long time. And so that's why I chose specifically international adoption um, with the country of China. And if you would like to hear more from Sarah on adoption, we did record a whole episode where Sarah opens up uh, about her adoption experience, and it's episode 41, and I think it's called Sarah Talks Adoption. So if you are the listener that asked this question, or if you're a listener who's just curious about her experience, definitely give that a listen, and she goes into a lot more detail about her experience and I learned a lot from that episode too. So if you're curious at all about international adoption, definitely check that one out. Now, let's move on to share a lazy lesson. And you are up this time, Sarah. Okay. And on most episodes, we try to share at least one low prep or no prep lazy lesson. What does that mean? It means it's an efficient lesson that doesn't involve expensive materials or a lot of prep. So our goal here is not to give you a lesson you've never heard of, but just to share more and more simple 
easy lessons that may or may not be new to you, but maybe you haven't done them in a while. And so we can all reconnect to what it's like to simplify and streamline our speech therapy sessions. So this one is super easy. It is playing charades with verb cards. So you pull a verb card. So for example, jump. Um, You're going to mime that action and the student is guessing what the action is, maybe even following directions. So if you want to pull one and say, hey, jump, following a one-step direction. So I'll typically print out about 10 verb pictures. We'll do the actions. We'll label it. It's very minimal prep. It's fun and engaging, and we can even build phrases from that game. That is such a cute idea, and I honestly cannot believe that I haven't thought of it or done it before. (laughs) And I love that there's movement involved. Um, I haven't done it yet, but I will definitely be adding it to my toolbox. And I hope if you do, you have as much fun as I do. I think, yeah, the kids love to move around. So up next, we are sharing an article with you that we've read this week and we've been discussing with each other we wanted to share with you as well and this one is about how maybe we should chill out a little bit about our morning routines (laughs) yes so this article is called the false promise of morning routines and it's from the atlantic we'll link to it in the show notes it describes how creating a detailed morning routine might not be the answer to our happiness So in an earlier episode, Sarah and I both shared our morning routines and how we start out our days. Um, This article talks about the pressure to establish morning routines that are pretty intense and also almost too perfect to be real, in my opinion. (laughs) Mark Wahlberg apparently gets up at like 2.30 in the morning. He eats breakfast at 3.15, works out, goes golfing, and then starts his cryotherapy treatments all by 9.30. This would not be possible or even be something I'm remotely interested in doing in my life right now. So (laughs) there does seem though to be a lot of pressure on social media about maximizing morning routines. And I have to say that while I am someone who is most productive in the morning, I prioritize my sleep too much to want to get up earlier to try and be more efficient during my workday. I also kind of feel like I already do enough work. Once I do get up, I don't really want to get up earlier to try to do more work. (laughs) So I, I don't really know if I can say I have a great morning routine right now. Since we talked and shared, I've kind of backed off on trying to do some of the things that I felt I had to do. And right now I just do the basics. I get, um, I will get up three to five times a week to exercise, though, is the one thing. But after I exercise, I will go back to bed. My alarm goes off to give me just the amount of time I need to brush my teeth, brush my hair, put on makeup, eat my breakfast, and get in my car and go to work. So... That's where I'm at right now, and I'm okay with that. And listener, if you are someone who rocks the morning routine and does the golfing and the cryotherapy before you go to work... Who are you? (laughs) Mark Wahlberg, that's amazing. (laughs) Who are you? I I 100% support your rock star morning routine and that early rise. You do you. I admire and respect it. 
Yeah. And for me, I do feel guilty sometimes when we talk about morning routines because I do wake up usually at 5 a.m. without an alarm, but that's not because I have amazing self-control. That's just the time my body wakes up. I can't even control that. So I do think that a lot of times we sort of glamorize like morning people have their act together or they're more productive. And that's just not true. It has to do with like sort of your hormones and when they're ebbing and flowing and peaking and valuing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wake up at 5 a.m. 6.30 is like the latest I would ever wake up. I don't set an alarm, uh, but that's me, right? That's me and my energy level, and I don't do that to be awesome. I do that because my body just does that. So I do coffee and journal in the morning, and um, I used to work out, and I found I was always worried about being late for work, and I would really... Working out in the morning would make it super hectic to try to get to work on time. So now, um, sort of depending on the time I wake up, like if I wake up at five, I will work out in the morning because I'll have time. So I'll just take it one morning at a time like, hey, do I have enough time to work out and not feel stressed getting ready? If so, I'll work out then. If not, I'll do it when I get home. So if you're just starting out, I would really recommend starting out with a five-minute morning routine. Uh, Do the basics and do something that you enjoy. And don't feel bad if you're not a morning person. Like, you know, everyone is different. Um, If you want a suggestion of what to try and you want to implement a five-minute morning routine, think about something you're already doing and pair the habit. So an example is drink your coffee and do it without looking at your phone. Or for me, it's coffee and journal, right? That's a pair of habits. So they go together. So as I drink my coffee, I grab my journal. And that does habit pairing is a way to be more consistent with your habits. Um, Another thing is like if you're prepping your breakfast, like oatmeal, why not make two batches and save the, you know, next one for the next day? So don't try to add 20 steps at once. Just do one thing and chances are... um, If you're doing a 20-step morning routine, like chances are you're not really enjoying yourself doing it. Uh, I know I wouldn't. I'm I'm right there with you. Um, And I love that advice to just keep things simple and start where it feels good. Start with something you're already doing. This will help you to start off your day with something that feels good and naturally falls into your day. So as you go through the rest of your day, we also have a self-care challenge for you to try out this week. All right, so self-care challenge is something that's simple, easy, and will add to your happiness or increase your self-care or add joy or health to your life. And while creating a complicated morning routine may not be the path to happiness, there is something that's added to my happiness lately, and that is using a mood tracking app. So how this works is I installed an app. The one I use is called Pixels. It's for Android. No matter what, whether you're an iPhone user or Android, there are tons of options. And there's just a series of faces like sad, neutral, happy, etc. On a scale, I click on the one that I'm feeling and I could leave it at that or I can add a note. Um, That's what happened that day. So um, again, whatever smartphone you have, you can look at your app store for a mood tracker app. Um, I then get a calendar and it's color coded how I was feeling per day. And it's good for me to look at patterns. And so for iPhones, some examples are Dailyo, Mood Kit, Worry Watch, and eMoods. For Android, I use Pixels. Um, and there's also Dailyo for Android. So give it a try. And if you like it, let us know. And speaking of our moods, let's talk about fear and 
some of the fears that we faced this year and fears that we may be expecting to go through this upcoming year. All right. So as promised, we said that we'd share some examples of times we moved through fear, not to talk about how we're so great. We don't, feel, at least I don't feel like I'm so great. Nope. Okay. Neither. All right. But <laughs> I think um, you're great though. <laughs> I think you're great. So ditto, ditto. Owe me a Coke. Wait. <laughs> All right. Okay. Anyway. Um, so we wanted to talk about examples of times we moved through fear, not because we feel like bragging, because for as many times as we've moved through fear, there are probably examples of where we've gotten stuck. But because again, fear can feel constant. And sometimes it will just come to a point where we need to do the thing that we're afraid of because we know that it's the thing we need to do. And we need to do it with the fear. We need to move forward with the fear. We can't banish the fear. We can't say, oh, I'm going to do this when I don't feel the fear. We're saying, okay, fear, you can be in the back seat. So if you want to know about that metaphor, it's in the book Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. She says, fear doesn't get to be in the passenger seat. Fear doesn't get to fiddle with the radio or choose the radio station, but fear is still in the car. Fear is in the back seat and you're moving forward. Mm. So here's our examples. Uh, So in the past year, uh, one of the things was actually discussing my adoption on the podcast. It's episode 41. It was one of the most draining episodes that I've recorded. So although it was a popular episode and... um, you know, listeners would like to hear more. It's so hard to talk about because it's so emotional that I don't think I'll do another one. Um, I would like to adopt two children. So I'm happy to like next adoption, maybe do another one, but for this adoption done and done, (laughs) I was exhausted after that episode just because it's such an emotional topic. And as far as my own adoption, Um, it's really felt like everything that can go wrong has gone wrong and it's been really frustrating. And, you know, at this point it's been a year and a half or more, uh, of just like paperwork, things getting rejected, things going wrong, delays and timelines. So that was the first, uh, example of a time when I moved past fear was to talk about adoption on the podcast. And my first fear that I wanted to share is, is, Similar in that it has to deal with our process of trying to start a family as well. And it was seeking uh, infertility treatment, which I haven't really talked about very much on the podcast, but we had been trying for a very long time to have a baby. And the first obstacle we had to overcome was talking about it with a professional who could help. And that was really hard because it's so personal and vulnerable. And um, it's hard for me. I feel emotional now just talking about it here on the podcast, because mm-hmm. it is it's so in my private life, yeah. that it's really hard to open up about it. So ain't nothing more private than your privates. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. <laughs> and then what you have to go through, like yes. the, the treatments, and um, we ended up going through um, IUI, which stands for in utero insemination. And I'm so glad that we came out on the other side, but not everybody does. And that's, that's hard too. So um, for those of you who have gone through similar processes as Sarah and I, I'm sure you can relate and um, we appreciate you. Yeah. And, you know, just because 
she was able to get pregnant doesn't take away the emotion and really the trauma of what it's like to go through infertility. It's very private, it's very emotional, and it's very difficult for everyone. All right, so let's see. My second one, uh, my second fear that I worked through this year was hiring my first employee, and that was scary for me because um, as a private practice business owner, I knew that I would be responsible for that person's income and having my own business, you know, the money can be up and down. So before I took that on, I wanted to be sure that I could uh, pay them. It was also really stressful with the insurance process. It takes at least three months to become in network for insurance plans. So as that went through, it was just a ton of extra work. And I really doubted if I should hire because it felt very difficult. Mm. Um, also switching clients to my employee's schedule. There were a lot of clients that didn't want to switch, not because my employee wasn't fabulous, but because it was a change. And so that was difficult. So overall, I made the decision and I started going down the path and I thought, oh my gosh, I've made the wrong decision. This is really hard. Like it was so much more work each week and I was exhausted to try to get her um, in network for these insurance companies. It was communicating with a lot of parents who were just concerned about changes and wanted to make sure that things would, that the transition would be smooth. And then my employee had her first day. And since then, I've never regretted it for one heartbeat of a second. Um, she's so capable. She's so fabulous. The families love her and say good things about her. And I feel really honored that uh, I'm able to provide a service that's really needed in our community to even more people. And I feel very lucky that the person I hired just took it from day one and did a fabulous job and was so capable. Yeah. I, I know that process was really hard and the change was hard on you too and scary. <laughs> and it was augmented by the family's yeah. fears and the pressure from the outside. So I'm glad that uh, we're on the other side more now and uh, it's worked out swimmingly. So at work, I also faced a fear, uh, which was asking to uh, reduce my work schedule to part-time. And uh, just that conversation was daunting because I knew what everyone's caseload numbers were. I knew it would mean that the district would have to hire to replace the half of the position I wouldn't be doing. But I did it. I made the phone call. I talked to the um, SPED director they were very supportive. You know, you kind of amp yourself up with this pre-anxiety that there's going to be, you know, some discussion or debate about it. But I, what I was expecting didn't even happen at all. It was, it was just all support. And yes, family comes first and you absolutely do that and we'll make it work. And so that has really helped me out a lot. And I'm so glad I started with that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that too. I, I have a conversation in my head where it's not going to go uh, the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I can tend to psych myself out. So, all right. And 
Next up, we're just going to share one thing that we are nervous about doing this year that we are going to do anyway. Uh, so it's out in public um, where there's some fear. And for me, that's hiring a full-time SLP at my clinic. To be completely honest, I would be stepping down from being the primary service provider and I would be still providing service, but doing a lot of clinic management and having the responsibility of a full-time employee uh, filling their schedule. Because <laughs> again, I don't want to hire someone unless I'm sure that I can you know, pay them and have clients for them. Um, and just even like getting them health insurance, there's a lot there that is um, intimidating. But I think that's a road that I might go down in the next year. That is going to be another big change that I know is scary, but also exciting and adheres to your values of family first. So um, I'm overall excited for you. Uh, as an outsider, I'm just excited. I'm not scared for you. <laughs> I'm just excited. Well, and I don't know if I'll find anyone who live in a small town mm -hmm. and it's hard to get people to move. So we'll see what happens. That's true. Well, my last fear is a personal fear and, and it's, it's one I think every new mother has, which is, am I doing an okay job? <laughs> am I being a good mother? And all of those, you know, you already, you get mom guilt pretty early on and uh, just kind of dealing with the everyday things and self-doubt that, um, am I doing the right thing? Was that the right thing to do? And, and it's just constant. It's, it's just a new state of being that I'm adjusting to and am nervous about. Mm -hmm. And thank you for sharing that. I think that it's something that is universal to people who have children, however, you know, however you got your kids, um, to feel that pressure. And just like there's SLP pressure, right? Like, you have to write the best IP. You can't make mistakes. You have to have these awesome sessions. Um, there's a lot of pressure in the parenting world as well. Mm -hmm. So there you have it, folks. That's today's show. Today we talked about conquering our fears, what's up and down in our lives right now. Sarah responded to a listener question about adoption, and we talked about some of the fears that we have moved through and that we're moving through right now. Did you enjoy this conversation about morning routines, easy lessons, and moving through fear? Subscribe so that you know when we're back from our summer break, we won't be recording new episodes this summer. So subscribe so you'll know as soon as our next episode comes out. Also, if you want to connect with us even more, you can go to slphappyhour.com slash newsletter for some updates and it'll be the only way to stay in touch with us this summer as we take a break from recording podcast episodes and we might even share a little bit about our growing families in that space and what we're up to this summer we hope you found this episode helpful and that you learned something along the way so that's today's show we hope you enjoyed listening in just as much as we enjoyed recording it just a reminder if you are listening to this episode in june of 2020 we are taking a break for the summer, and we'll see you again in the fall. You can take the summer off from the podcast or feel free to catch up on older episodes if you'd like. This is episode 72, which means there are 71 more episodes that you can tune into whenever you like. Also, as we close out the podcast for the summer, we wanted to say an extra special thank you to you. Thank you for continuing to listen in. Please keep sending us those messages. Be a part of what we are sharing here and being you. 
We appreciate you so much. Please remember you are already doing an awesome job and you are appreciated. We'll see you in the fall. We hope this episode has been a slice of an SLP happy hour for you. Thank you for listening.